Well, friends, friends, good morning. Good morning morning and and welcome to Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Church. Uh, My name name is Matthew and I'm the new senior pastor pastor here. And uh, And, uh, for those of you joining us who are new, either in a pew or or online, especially welcome. We're glad that you could be with us this morning. And if you are joining us online in particular and you are new, I wanted to let you know that you are in good company this morning. Because there's a significant part of the life of our church for joining you in just that same way. And so you cannot see them and we can't either, but we know that you are all there. And you are not alone. You are very much with us. And no matter how you are gathering to church this morning, when we, when we come into, into these walls, walls we remember, we remember uh, together, uh, together that uh, uh, out there, it's year, year end, end, but in here, it is already a new year for us. Out there, the new year starts in January, but for us as Christians who follow the ancient liturgical calendar, the new year started at the end of November with a season called Advent. Before Jesus comes at Christmas time, we spend four weeks uh, celebrating the new year by waiting for God to come back. We, uh, at Advent, are celebrating the return of God and the return of Jesus because when Jesus comes back, everything becomes brand new. But if you know Jesus, you know also that a lot of people wanted to know when that was going to happen. And he was pretty consistent in telling people that you don't know and we can't know when it will happen. People People asked him, when when will you come back? When will all things be made new? He often said, no one knows the day or the hour. Yeah, it's going to come like a thief in the night. And so for us, at this new year, as Christian people, we are celebrating, preparing, longing, and leaning into something that is a surprise. And the question is, how do you prepare for a surprise? How do you prepare prepare for something something that will come unexpectedly in your life? In part, part, by by being being surprised. surprised. And the surprise this morning as we come together is this. The God God whom we wait for is already here. here. He is already already among us. us. And so today today for you, perhaps church is the last place that you ever expected to find yourself. yourself. Perhaps today all that you have brought with you are tears. Or for, or for others of you, you the, the lives, lives Zoom feed, uh, the Facebook feed is on, but your life is such that you're only going to be able to pay a quarter of your attention to what we're going to do in the next hour anyway. And the good news, my friends, the surprise of God is this. We do not bring ourselves to church out of life circumstances. God uses our life circumstances to bring us to church. In other, In other words, words wherever, wherever you, find you find yourself today, today you, are you are where you need to be because God, because God has brought you here. And I can, and I can think, think of no better surprise than that. Than that. And so, friends, so friends, would you rise and body your in spirit, and let's, and let's say our call to worship together. together. This comes from the Psalms in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 126. Friends, the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Our God has turned our weeping into singing. O Christ of God, come anew in our hearts this day. Friends, I invite you to remain standing as you're able and let's sing. All creation sing. You can put your hands together for this one. You know this one very well. Let's sing with joy. All of heaven. Here we go.
Friends, during Advent, we remember that God comes to those who live in the dark. Advent always begins in the dark, and as the Sundays go by, the light grows, just in the same way as each Sunday we light yet another candle. So friends, hear this reading for this third Sunday of Advent. As we anticipate the birth of Jesus Christ, we light candles of hope, and peace as reminders, reminders of the promise that Emmanuel is our God with us and that God graciously gives us these gifts even if they sometimes come in ways that are mysterious to us. On this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him came down to earth and took our humanity. Endured, endured the cross with its shame and sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. The day, the day is coming when there will be everlasting joy to the world, for our Lord will come. Let all the earth receive her king. We light this candle of joy in anticipation of that day. Friends, let's say it together. We light these candles as a sign of our waiting and expectation for the coming of Christ. Joseph's life, living in, living small, in small town, town Nazareth, a, car a carpenter of the, of the line, line of David, David. Engaged, engaged to Mary. Then, then one day, day upsetting, upsetting news. Mary, Mary is, is pregnant. There's a, there's a law. Sad, Sad plan. Quiet, Quiet divorce. divorce. A message one night. An, an angel, angel in a dream. dream. Take, take Mary as your wife. wife. From the, from the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit? A, son a son to be named, to be named Jesus. Jesus. Joseph changed, changed life. Living, living in small, small town, town Nazareth. Gossip. Gossip. A, car a carpenter. carpenter. Obedient. Lending, Lending David's, David's lineage. Mary. Married to pregnant, pregnant Mary. Do, do, do not, not be afraid. afraid. Do, not do not be afraid. afraid. Do, not do not be afraid of what, of what God, God intends to do. To do. do, do not, not be afraid. afraid. Of what God, God has asked of you. Do not, do not be afraid. When you, when you do, do not, not understand, understand. Do, not do not be afraid. God is working out his plan. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I invite you to rise again in body or spirit. Join in this song.
When Christians gather for worship as we have done today, we express, we proclaim the goodness and the holiness and the beauty of God. And because seeing God for who he actually is has a way of wakening us up to the reality of ourselves, we also then acknowledge our own uncleanliness. Christians, when they gather for worship, proclaim the goodness of God and they confess their sins. When we, when gather, we gather, we confess, we confess sin, sin together. together. And we, and do, we that do that by confessing behaviors, behaviors things that we do that are wrong, but also by confessing that we live in a condition, that we live in a world in which um, there is misery, and there is sadness, and things are broken, and the light is dim. And so, and so we also sometimes, sometimes acknowledge together, together uh, that our expectations for life have been shaped by living in a dimly lit world. It is, it is Advent, and we are, we are waiting, waiting for nothing short than the return of God himself. himself. He, is he is the King who will make all things right. It gives, it gives us a moment to reflect, though, on how we expect things to get better in our lives. Friends, the world is a miserable place. How do we respond to that? Sometimes we respond by wanting to escape it. Because, because the pain, the pain is, is so great, we think there is nothing to be done except to numb it in ourselves. Sometimes we respond to it by wanting to close our ears and our eyes to the pain in the world. Sometimes we also respond, though, by um, believing that we can be pretty sure that it will get better when we make it so. And so we are deeply committed to rearranging the lives of others who are a mess in our world or the world around us until it is orderly. Sometimes what we forget, though, is by making it good, what we actually mean is good for us. And so today, um, we realize that in all of these different ways, mostly what we expect is that God will do things the way that we do. That once we have sufficiently cleaned up our own lives, God will come. Once we have sufficiently tidied the lives of those around us, God will come. What we do not expect is for God to enter in the midst of all of it, which is, of course, what he has done in Jesus. He has come in the midst of all of our pain and sadness and this miserable world in order that we might know freedom in the midst of it. And so, and so friends, friends, I would invite, I would invite you, you along with Christians throughout time and place to join us in uh, learning to long for something more, for Jesus, for Jesus who is even now on his way here. here. Would you would join me in this prayer of confession? Come, come thou long-expected Jesus, come. come. Sometimes, Sometimes we have a hard time imagining that you would come down from the glorious splendor of heaven to be born in a Bethlehem stable with straw, mud, and animals all around. 
we cannot imagine that you willingly took our broken human flesh with bodies that ache and suffer from illness and pain. You walked into our sadness, into wars, into violence and persecution, and you did this all for us. We confess that it is difficult to comprehend and difficult to believe. Why, Lord, would you do that for us? We call, we call you, you Emmanuel, God, God with us. How, how often do we live out this Christmas story with the truth that your incarnation was for us? Continue to enter in, Emmanuel. Enter into our darkness and give us light. Enter into our lives. Change them for your good purposes. Enter into our hearts. Instill them with the, with the words. words. Be, be not, not afraid. Let's continue in prayer by singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Oh, people. 
Friends, brothers, and sisters, how does God make it right when everything, including us, is all wrong? He brings rightness here. He brings it to us, and his name is Jesus, and he is our righteousness. Hear these words from Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Let's say it together. Uh, oh, is that me or is that you? That's you. Thanks. People of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose coming we announce in this season is our righteousness. In Christ, we are made right with God. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Let's rise again in body or in spirit. As Michaela leads us in the song, Behold the Savior.
Brothers and sisters, to a world at war, it should not be good news for God to come back. And yet he doesn't come with an iron scepter. He comes as an infant. He comes defenseless. And he comes to make peace in his own body. And he gives it to you. It's as real as a handshake, which we can't extend to each other today. But rest assured, it is still there. Would you pass the peace of Christ to each other in a socially distanced and appropriate way? Good morning. I'm Emily Fortnow, one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and I have the privilege of leading us um, in prayer this morning. Let's go before our God in prayer. Dear God, we come before you today, thankful for a warm, sunny day in December. We thank you for the ability to come to you in prayer and that you listen and care about our needs. We are grateful to be here this morning, and we ask that you would be with those who aren't here today. Bring healing and freedom from pain for those in our congregation who struggle with ongoing health issues. This morning, be especially with Maggie, as she's not feeling well. We thank you for the new elders and deacons that were chosen during the congregational meeting this week. We ask that you would be with Ruth and Connor and Tony and Don during the upcoming term. Give them wisdom as they lead and shepherd this church. Dear God, we also thank you for Pastor Matthew and Pastor Annika and Pastor Howard, for Sadie, Becky, and Kate. We enjoyed hearing about the work that they have done this year at our congregational meeting. We ask that you would bless them and sustain them as they continue to pour so much into the ministries of this church. We come weary that despite that the precautions that we took and the masks that we have worn in the last in nine months that the pandemic seems to rage ever stronger. Dear God, we ask that you would be with those who have been diagnosed with COVID or who are quarantining. Give them health and strength and patience. We have hope that the first vaccine has been approved and that the end might be in sight, but we ask for your presence during this socially distanced Christmas season. Dear God, despite the grimness that we see in the news and on social media, we know that you remain in control of our world and our lives. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to concentrate on the ways that you are present in our lives, especially as we celebrate Advent and remember how you sent your son to be born and to live among us. Dear God, thank you for the hope that you give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we will be reading Matthew 1, 18 through 24, which is found on page 783 in your pew Bibles. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When King George VI died, his daughter Elizabeth became Queen of England. Recently, uh, Diane and I have been watching a series called The Crown on Netflix. Maybe you've heard of it. It's uh, kind of an imaginative reconstruction into the life of Elizabeth and how over time she is transformed under the weight of that crown on her head. But if you watch the series, you know it's not just her. That crown changes her family too. Her husband, Philip in particular, now calls his wife his queen, literally. When she becomes Queen Elizabeth, Philip begins to give up a lot in his life. His London home, which he'd been working so hard to renovate for their young family, instead they moved to Windsor Castle. 
Then he has to give up his career as a naval officer. And he is even asked then to give up learning to fly because it's simply too dangerous for the husband of the Queen of England to be flying airplanes for fun. And all of this Philip handles with a characteristic British stiff upper lip. But there is one change that really, really gets to him. At one point, it is the hardest one for him to submit to. He loses the right to name his children. Under pressure from Parliament and the English people, Philip loses the right to give his own title and his own family name, Mountbatten, to his children. Instead, the queen declares that the family shall be of the house of Windsor. Now, it's more in vogue for couples today to hyphenate their last names and even sometimes for husbands to take their wives' last names. But this was 1952. Prince Philip once privately complained, I am nothing but a bloody amoeba. I am the only man in the country not allowed to give his name to his own children. Philip experienced a humbling that was unlike anyone else in his country and his time and his culture His privilege of naming his children was taken away because someone else's title mattered more. And Philip may not have had a friend in the entire country of Britain who could understand that, but he would have found one in Joseph. Joseph, who is of the royal house of David and who is a guy with a title of his own, experiences a humbling very much like the one that Philip knows. We are toggling over this morning from Luke's story to Matthew's story about Jesus, and uh, it begins, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. But Matthew might just as well have said, this is how God disrupted Joseph and Mary's perfectly good new marriage. This is how God humbled Joseph. We saw the same story last Sunday from a different angle with a different angel. Gabriel comes to Mary and announces that she will conceive and bear a son and that he is to be called Jesus. Yes, even though she is a virgin, she will conceive for no word from the Lord can ever fail. And Mary wonders, how can this be? She believes the angel. She worships and she sings about how this child will turn everything upside down and inside out. But eventually she has to tell Joseph We can only imagine how that conversation went. Matthew doesn't tell us about it, but it's clear that Joseph doesn't believe his betrothed bride-to-be. Maybe she tried to explain what the angel had told her. Maybe she just let the fact speak for itself. We don't know. What we do know is how Joseph is thinking about what he has heard, and all he seems to know for certain is that he isn't the father. Matthew tells us two really important things about Joseph. One, he is righteous. And two, he is merciful. Joseph is a good man. He is a tzaddik, a righteous man. That does not mean that Joseph is a nice guy. It was a title, something more like being a gentleman in English society. In other words, Joseph has made a name for himself as the kind of guy who can be found in the synagogue each Sabbath and who takes obedience to God very seriously. But Joseph is also merciful. For him, his betrothal to Mary is no callously arranged marriage. He loves Mary, and he doesn't want her disgraced. And so now you have this righteous man who loves God's law and his betrothed, even though she has been unfaithful to him, or at least it looks like she has. According to the law, Joseph cannot marry her, but he has two options going forward. He can go public by outing her as an adulteress. She would be exposed to full shame. She might be stoned. She will never marry again. If he goes this route, he will keep the law and also clear his name of any humiliation because she will bear all of it. He could keep his title and he would be vindicated. But Joseph has another option. He can divorce her quietly instead. This is also righteous, but it's merciful too because Mary won't be stoned 
nor will she be publicly humiliated. And so there is a chance that she could remarry, perhaps the man who fathered the child. But it's also costly for him. Because if Joseph does not have her publicly humiliated, it means that he bears some of the shame too. Although even in bearing some shame, by going this route, he keeps his title of Sadiq because he has kept the law. And so after weighing his options, Matthew tells us that this is what Joseph has decided to do. Being both righteous and merciful, this is how Joseph makes the best of a bad situation. That is, that is until one night when he has a dream that feels more real than being awake. An angel comes, do not be afraid, Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Afraid? Well, that's interesting. Well, now, why would Joseph be afraid? Angry about Mary? Surely. Betrayed? Disappointed? Feeling crushed? Probably. Perhaps he might even feel above her. But afraid? Why? The angel knows that Joseph is going to be afraid when he tells him what God wants him to do next, which is to take Mary home as his wife. God wants him to give up his title, to go down. Do not be afraid, Joseph, even though accepting this woman and her child is the way down for you. Last week, Mary responded with faith and she sang when the angel came with good news. Mary sang about how this child inside her would mean that everything gets turned upside down. Do you remember that? The rich are now empty and the poor are full. Those with no status are lifted and honored and those up high are brought low. But Joseph, this is good news for Mary because she is a girl with no history from nowhere. Mary gets raised. She is honored because she was low. But Joseph, the one with the title, the righteous guy, he's on the other end of those lyrics, isn't he? This child coming into his life does not mean up, but down. He is a righteous guy. He is someone who lives in an upright way, you could say. If he divorces her now, he gets to stay upright because she goes down. But the angel says, take her home to be your wife and adopt the child and call him Jesus. And to do that is to go down with her. Not only is his honor lost by taking her, but so is his right to name his own child because he already has a name. And that was to lose the prerogative of all husbands in his culture. No wonder Joseph is afraid. Joseph, do not be afraid to take her home as your wife. But really what the angel is saying is, Joseph, do not be afraid to come down. In every community and every culture throughout history, we have all taught each other about the way up in life. We don't usually do it in quite those words. Usually we do it through the stories that we tell and the people whom we point to and say, be like that. But in those ways, what we're doing is we're giving each other and our children a narrative about how to climb, about how to go up in life. For some, the way up is by doing what your family says you should do, especially if it comes at expense of yourself. For others, the way up is by doing the opposite of what your family says you should do, especially if it is for yourself. In some communities, the way up is who you know, and more importantly, who knows you. In some communities, the way up is who you are related to. In some countries and in some communities, the color of your skin gives you a leg up. In many communities, it is the words or the letters that you put on the back of your email signature. CEO, PhD, owner, operator, senior, pastor. In some communities, it's your zip code or your neighborhood or the street address on your mail, but in all communities, we teach a story about the way up in life, about how to go up, because everyone wants to go up. It's just a matter of how you get there. 
I love the stories of Flannery O'Connor. If you know her, she was a writer mid-century uh, in the 20th century. And I love her because in her stories, she often describes a very different way of going up. One of my favorite stories is called Revelation, and it's about a woman who thought that she was already well on her way up in life, but instead learns to come down. Her name is Ruby Turpin, and we meet her in a doctor's office. Mrs. Turpin thought herself a Christian, a title that was important to her, but it was a title that she did not really understand. While sitting in a doctor's waiting room at the beginning of the story, somewhere in the South, Mrs. Turpin looks around at the various people waiting in the doctor's room with her. She sees a child with snot dripping from his face. Poor thing. He's dirty and unmannered with a dumb, vacant stare. Certainly he is the child of the white trash woman sitting near him who is equally as pitiable. Mrs. Turpin notices the snuff stains around the woman's lips and her dirty yellow hair and her slouchy posture. She notices the woman's shoes bedroom slippers, which she thinks are exactly what you would have expected a woman like that to be wearing. She thinks to herself, white trash. Mrs. Turpin notices a fat girl with acne and promptly pities the ugly girl with the ugly disposition, which naturally leads Ruby Turpin to thanking Jesus that she is not as fat as the ugly girl, that her skin looks better, that Jesus made her neither white trash nor African-American, she thanks Jesus that she is not a renter, uh, though, of course, she's not as rich as she could be, but still, Jesus could have made her these other things, or a renter. But Mrs. Turpin is aware of how good she has it. She begins to converse politely with a well-dressed and civil woman there in the doctor's waiting room, and they talk of things that only polite, well-dressed homeowners would understand, and how important it is to have a good disposition in life, to be polite and responsible and grateful with gospel music playing softly in the background and swelling with her own gratitude, Mrs. Turpin erupts out loud, if there is one thing I am, it's grateful. When I think of all I could have been besides myself and what I got, a little of everything, and the good disposition besides, I just feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way that it is. It could have been different. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you. And this is where, if you've ever read it, Flannery O'Connor's stories become truly great. You see, because what happens is that there in that waiting room, the, the ugly girl who was reading this thick book, she becomes enraged at this, and she hurls her book at Miss Turpin, hitting her right over the eye, and leaping upon her, she screams, Go back to where you came from, you old warthog. And when the scuffle settles, Mrs. Turpin thanks Jesus that she's not a lunatic, like this girl. But something has happened that she cannot shake. In O'Connor's stories, grace is like that. Grace happens to characters like Mrs. Turpin, and it is always shocking and jarring, like a dream that wakes you up to something you did not see before. Mrs. Turpin cannot shake the girl's words. Later that day, after her visit at the doctor's office, she's back at her farm, and Mrs. Turpin goes out to the hog pen to nurse her wounded dignity. Gazing at the filthy pigs, she grouses, how am I an old warthog? How am I a hog? Exactly how am I like them? And in a final surge of fury, she roars, who do you think you are? And in beautiful telling, it's as though the words come echoing back at her, and it's as if God is the one asking her, who do you think you are? And suddenly the sky above Ruby turns a strange color and she sees what seems to be a bridge of light from earth going up to heaven. And on that bridge, ascending first to heaven, is a whole horde of poor white trash, clean for the first time in their lives, and bands of black folks wearing beautiful white robes, and battalions of freaks and lunatics, the likes of whom she had thanked God she was not. 
They are leaping and shouting and singing as they are received up into heaven. They go up first. And then Mrs. Turpin notices that lingering far behind this unsightly horde is a tribe of people just like herself. Good people. Well-mannered. Church folk, maybe, who had always had a little of everything in the God-given wit to use it right. They alone are singing on key. And yet they are in agony because their virtues are burning away. They go up last because they were at the bottom all along. And what I love about O'Connor's stories is the same thing that makes me very uncomfortable with them. Her characters say the things that are secretly in our hearts, things that we don't even admit to ourselves. And her characters experience a radical, often startling moment of grace, a revelation, like an angelic visitation in our lives where we least expect it. Do not be afraid to come down. Friends, do not be afraid to come down in your view of yourself. Do not be afraid to apologize even if it's been 20 years since the last time that you spoke. Do not be afraid to admit that you were wrong, that you don't understand, that you are not okay right now, that you need help. Do not be afraid to come down. Do not be afraid to come down. Why? Why not be afraid? Why come down at all? Because God is down there. Because God came down. Came down to be with us. To be like us in every way but sin. In fact, to go beneath us into a tomb bearing our sin. And why would he do that? Because he loves us. And because when you love someone, you want to be where they are. And my friends, this is where we are. We climb ladders and we step on each other and we don't realize that the way up is really the way down to death. The higher we climb trying to make ourselves matter, the further we are from God. When we love wealth, it makes us poor. When we hunt for status, it makes us insignificant. When we crave power, it renders us impotent. When we put others down, we are only burying ourselves. And that is why God came here, to show us that really, really the way down to humility is the way up. It's the way that Jesus took, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp and hold on to, but emptied himself, becoming a servant, and not just a servant, but a slave, and being humbled even to the point of death on a cross. Do not be afraid to come down. Why? Because God is down here. And there is a community of people down here too. And they will welcome you as someone on their footing. And if you come down you will hear some good news, a name. You will hear a name spoken in the mouth of the person who is named Jesus, the one whose name means salvation. In the back of the gray hymnal in the pew in this sanctuary, there is a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's okay if you don't know how to spell that word. Half the time, I can't either. It's very old, and it's very important because it is spiritually wise. And in that document, in the pew, in this sanctuary, there is a question. And the question is this, why is he called Jesus? Why does the Son of God get that name? And the answer given is this because he saves us from our sins, because you can't find anyone with that name anywhere else. And you realize what it's saying, of course. It's saying that the way to know your worth in life is not by having a better title, but by knowing that his title matters more, because his name is Jesus, and he comes to save us from our sins. And God with us, Emmanuel, uses that title to go instead of us to the cross 
so that God could save us. And that's what his name means. And what it does is to give you a new name too. A name so precious that you couldn't dream of earning it for yourself. A name that if you knew what it was to be called by that name, you would have joy even when you are in despair. If you knew that name, you would know what it is to be free even when you are in the most complex, um, burdensome situation. If you knew this name, you would know how to go down to the bottom of whatever this life has entirely unafraid. What does that name sound like? How will I know it when I hear it? Actually, you already have. God already used that name today. You heard it when we confessed our sin and God told you again that we are forgiven. 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 We are saved from all our sins by Jesus. Friends, pardoned ones, beloved ones, children, beloved sons and daughters of God, do not be afraid to come down. For God already has. And now we know. That's the way up in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we are amazed and confused and put off by the way that you have come into this world and into our lives. Lord, we want to go up in life because whether we realize it or not, we believe that that is where you are. And we know instinctually that where you are is peace and joy and freedom and life and hope and fullness. And yet, God, what we do not understand is that the way up to you is sometimes literally beneath us. And so, God, we ask that you would open our eyes and make us unafraid to the places in our lives and in this world where you are calling us to go down, to not be afraid to come down. Give us the courage and the strength and the faith to step off the ladders, to come down in the bright and beautiful hope that we will find you there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, let's rise in body or in spirit together. Oops, sorry, one second. Normally in our church, worship is a dialogue. God speaks, we respond. God speaks in the scripture. And normally we have a chance to respond by giving offerings for, um, for ministries that we support. We're not able to do that physically in the way that we normally would have. You can still give, though, by putting offerings in the box in the front there or by giving online. And today our offerings are both for the general fund that supports the work of this congregation and also for a ministry that I sense is very dear to us. Uh, Help me with the name. Helping Hearts. Healing Hearts. Healing Hearts. Thank you. Yeah, if you'd like to know more, I believe it's on our website as well. Um, So having done that, would you uh, please rise? And um, as we go, God sends us on our way. Friends, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, let's go singing. Annika's going to pass out some instruments. Elise is helping out too. So let's join in singing and and, uh, yeah. Let's praise our God because he came down. Oh, 
Go in peace.